Stay home. Discover the center of your universe. This is the topic that we will be addressing in this program. This is Simon Jacobson. And as part of a series of extensive programs that we've been doing, especially addressing the upheaval and crisis of the coronavirus, please go to MeaningfulLife.com slash Corona. You'll find a wide array of different programs for different audiences, different ages, including what I strongly recommend is a daily spiritual antidote, a three-minute video that's meant to counter the disruption of our outer lives by boosting and bolstering our inner lives, strengthening our psychological and emotional immune systems. So in this program, we're going to be addressing a statement we hear again and again, quarantine, stay home. The program is dedicated for a complete and speedy recovery, to all those that are suffering from the coronavirus. They should completely recover, come out stronger than ever, and God should protect everyone, anywhere in the world. We should finally come to an end of this plague, of this epidemic, this pandemic, and learn the proper lessons to be a more powerful and greater human being. When the Jewish people were in Egypt and they were suffering greatly, there's a powerful verse that says, as they were oppressed, as they were oppressed and afflicted, in direct proportion to that, they flourished and they thrived. So, painful situations, difficult situations, oppressive situations can bring out, God forbid, sometimes the worst in us, but it can bring out the best in us. So what is this uh, stay home? Obviously, the most ostensible reason for that is protection. Protection of yourself, of your family, and protecting everyone else. But there's always deeper meaning in any experience. And it's vital, just as much as we're fighting the illness itself, to also strengthen our spiritual, emotional, and psychological attitude to this. Because that too can be debilitating and sometimes even more paralyzing. The fears, the concerns, the uncertainties, the unknowns. So to just lock ourselves up in our homes, lockdown, and cower in fear and worry is obviously not a healthy thing to do. Yet, we do need to follow guidelines. So we need to dig deeper and find opportunities in these challenging times as we're quarantined at home, as we're staying at home. So often, not just often, I would say always, great wisdom comes from past experiences. When we learn from the past, we can cope and deal and even thrive in the present and grow into the future. So looking back, the history of quarantine during plagues is not new. It's new to our century. It's new to our age because it's something we thought was a distant memory of past history. But it existed quarantining for the reason of keeping ourselves healthy and protected, not infecting others and not being infected by them. But there's something more. The first documented quarantine 
the first documented plague, was in Egypt 3,332 years ago. Documented in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, the book of Shmois. And there it says that on that night, the night before the Jewish nation, the Jewish people left the Exodus from Egypt, they were told to bring the Paschal Lamb, the Karban Pesach, and then Moses added the following. This is in the third chapter in Exodus. In chapter 12, verse 22, he said, And you, va'atem, and you, the Jewish people, as a plague is raging outside, what plague was it? The tenth plague of the firstborn being killed? After the obstinate Egyptians and Pharaoh at their head refused to let the people go after so many decades of hard labor, of genocide, you, the Jewish people, while that is happening out there, a raging plague outside, Stay in your homes. And do not leave the door of your home until the morning. Because then the morning came and then the afternoon and the Jewish people marched out of Egypt for the first time after decades, hundreds of years actually. So the obvious reason is, as the commentaries explain, is because there was a plague. Rashi, the classic commentary says, because once permission is given to the agent of death, the angel of death, to kill, it's not healthy to be in that environment because there sometimes can be no distinction between the righteous and the, and the wicked. So stay home. But the question still begs. I mean, God is running the show. He cannot distinguish who he wants to punish and who not. Is the staying home simply just to avoid? Is it an only defense mechanism? Remember, at home, they celebrated Passover, the first Passover. There's more to it. And as a matter of fact, all the laws that we learn in the Talmud, which are actually laws that become part of our modern culture about epidemics and plagues, comes from this verse. In the Talmud, in the tractate Baba Kama, 60b, That's where we learn that when there's a plague raging, go into your homes. And this verse is cited. So the verse is actually a precedent for exactly what we're being told, stay home. But is there anything more to it than just protection? Avoiding the contagions to spread? And the answer is absolutely yes. And we see it, even naturally you see People coming up with all kinds of innovative ideas, what to do at home. The children are home. Everything's been disrupted. Our plans, our schedules, our work, our public engagements, involvements. Our schools are closed. Children are home. We're home. So people, naturally, just out as a grassroots type of effort, are coming up with all kinds of ways of what do we do at home. So we're hearing the idea of time to bond, time to love more, to appreciate But it goes a lot further than that. And it all comes to answer the big question, what is this quarantining? Could God not have figured out? Let them go and decide who he wants to to, um, pass retribution on and who not. So there's something more going on. And I would submit, not just something more, but it actually brings us back to looking at ourselves in new ways. 
Now, when we're busy, as we were just a few months ago with our schedules and our plans, for good or for bad, whatever they were, so we're going to work, we're commuting, we have our uh, Passover plans or summer plans or other plans, our children are going to school, everybody in their world. So if someone comes to you and says to you, you know, let's time to think about who you are, introspection, soul searching. I don't have time for that. I'll do that maybe summer vacation, maybe before the new year. I'll find some time. But now suddenly, against our will, we've been thrust in that situation. And many of us are facing ourselves for the first time because we don't have that escape. I have to go out to eat tonight with friends or I'm going to a play or I'm going to a a, a game. And that contains the opportunity of really discovering what home really is. So let's go back in history and psychologically think about it. What is the role of a person's home? So as adults, many of us see home as, uh, that's the place I go to, to sleep, to be with my family and loved ones, my place of intimacy. But it's not necessarily my uh, base. My base could be my career, my work, or my social life. Well, the work and social life are right now been paused indefinitely. So what are we left with? The question is, so what is your home? Now, like in any scientific approach, what you want to do is you don't look at a situation as it is right now. You go back to its roots. You go back to its roots before it's been impacted by human choices, by distortions, by different jaded experiences and prejudices. Let's go back to whom, where's the best place to find out who we really are? Let's go back to our childhoods, when we were born. What is a child without a home? When you think of it that way, wow, one second, a child without a home? Remember, a home doesn't just mean the physical abode. It means a family, it means a nurturing environment, it means protection. A child is a defenseless, vulnerable creature. Has no way to protect itself. Its home is its nest. The hearth. Of course, we're talking about a healthy home, a healthy family environment. We'll mention a situation when it's not that way, but the way it's meant to be. And we all can relate to that. So when you think of it that way, not where you are as an adult, where maybe your career was the center of your universe. The home is actually the real center, as it was always from the beginning of when we were born. Let's go a step further. Let's go a step backwards. We began nine months from conception till birth, where completely sheltered in another form of a home. Our mother's womb, a home, which protects from the elements. Even eating, drinking, breathing, everything is provided for. Complete nurturing, completely submerged in the embryonic fluids. You ever know when you go in the water? There's something about it. You go into water, you feel protected. You feel surrounded. You feel like loved and embraced. But here's nine months. And not just plain nine months. Nine months of our development. The earlier stages of our lives is when we are being shaped and formed. And the example given is that a young child is like a warm ball of wax. Every experience gets etched in that wax. And as we get older and it hardens, it becomes part of our psyche. Again, for good or for bad. In our mother's wombs, that's where it all begins because everything is so delicate. It's like a seed. One little scratch, God forbid, 
later can be an enormous gnash in a, in a tree. So those early formative years are shaped completely by protection. Essentially a home, an abode, a, a dwelling place. Then the child is born, the umbilical cord is, 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 the umbilical cord is cut, and that nurturing environment in a healthy situation continues. Not in the womb, but the womb is now extended in the bedroom, the child's crib, the clothing, everything that protects the child. Slowly, slowly, as the child grows and learns to become more independent, begins to go to school, meets others, all these early experiences of that home, that nest, really have builds the confidence, builds the love, builds that security that later we can soar and spread our wings. Think of a bird that never had a nest. It would never have the strength to go fly. It needs the stage of nesting, and then there comes the point where it becomes a fledgling, and then finally it can take flight. So everything in its stages. So the fact is, home is actually the essence of who we are. That's why the Talmud has a statement that says a person is not complete without a home. Now, on a very ostensible level, again, you can take that meaning. God forbid you see a homeless person, you see something's lacking. The dignity that we need. So a person without a home is uh, not a complete person. Something is missing. But it goes deeper than that. It's not just what we're lacking. The home provides that love and that security, that unconditional validation that really sets the stage and builds the self-esteem necessary to succeed in every area of life. Without question, if you see people suffering from low self-esteem, and unfortunately we have much of that, fears, inhibitions, or, for, or worse, anxieties and depressions, very often you can trace it to their childhoods. What kind of childhood? That's the first question we ask. That's the first usual suspect. What kind of childhood did you have? Was it a loving environment? Were your parents validating you? Showing you how great you can be? Nurturing you? Or did you have parents that were critical? That would always find something wrong, would invalidate you, and, or worse not even getting into higher levels, deeper levels of abuse, I should say. So when you trace it, you suddenly realize. So home actually is not just home, not just four walls and a room and a, and a few rooms, because you could have a home like that and it could be no love as well. It could be a very abusive home, a dysfunctional home. Home represents a lot more than just technicality, having a roof over your head that protects you from the elements from rain, snow, or from hostile forces. It's, that's what it, that is the so-called, the, what we call it. Love is not just the absence of hate. Like peace is not just the absence of war. Home is not just the absence of hostility or the absence of elements that can be dangerous. It's not just the absence of danger. It's an entity of its own that reflects everything that is vital and critical in what makes us tick. That's why a human being is not complete without a home. In the early stages of our lives, the home is provided by our parents and, all, and by extension, everything they offer. Then when we're ready to go out into the world, in the best case scenario, empowered by the nesting, by the love and the confidence that we have now gained, 
we can now go build our own home and continue to perpetuate that love and nurturing. Now, of course, immediately you say, one second, see how many families are dysfunctional? How many homes are dysfunctional? But dysfunctional has a reason it's called dysfunctional because it's actually not a healthy home or not a complete home. Some people tell me my home was a war zone. My parents fighting, pitting us against each other. It was filled with anger, filled with guilt, filled with, with the punitiveness. That's not the way a home should be. And we all know it because we talk about it not in loving ways. Sometimes we become accustomed to that toxic environment. So, in that sense, home is the most natural place, the real center of our universe. So what happened? What happened to us? What happens to us is the natural you, the center of who you are, and everything that makes you healthy, is that nurturing nest. We grow older, and hopefully that was there. We start going out into the world. And I mean that not just physically, but also metaphorically. Interacting and so on. And we discover disappointments. We discover there's duplicity out there. We discover there's divisiveness. We discover there's exploitation. What do we do? So if you have that reinforcement, the roots, another example would be the roots of a tree. So that power can counter those forces and you say, you know what? That's outside of me. I will build my hearth. I will build my home. In my home, not only be peaceful, there's an inner calm. There's an inner healthy functionality. The loving elements, the complementation, the teamwork, everything that makes a human being the healthiest. And the outside world, that's the hostile world. That's where the battles take place of, of all sorts. Whether it's battles, literal battles, or it's battles of competition, or other forms of, of exploitation and manipulation and everything that goes on. I, even a healthier person, will take the inner serenity of their home and their home-like feelings and psyche and influence their environment. But what happens if for whatever reason, suddenly what you're doing out in the outside world becomes your identity and you lose sight of your inner home, physical and spiritual and psychological home? Then you have problems. Then there will be problems. That's like not knowing you have a nest and that, was, that is exactly what has happened, my friends, in history. Let's look at history. There was a time, and especially for the Jewish people, but I would say this for all, all human beings, where the home was the center of, of life. That's where two people came together, they got married, they built a family. And that was the focus, to make sure their family is healthy, provided for. So what would they do? There was no travel then, there was no internet, there was no technology. I'm talking about going back even pre-agricultural revolution or even the agricultural revolution. So you had people go out to work. They worked the fields, wood choppers, water carriers, different services, trade, providing resources, salt, pepper, bread. So they were the different, but these were all considered menial labor wasn't considered to be, oh, wasn't glorified. It was a means to an end. I'll chop more wood, or I'll carry more wood. I'll make a little more money. I can then provide, bring home a gift. Well, first let's talk about the necessities. Food, drink, shelter, clothing, the things my family needs, education. 
But then things changed, especially from the agricultural revolution moving to the industrial revolution, where now, most of the time people did was not spend at a field eight, nine, ten hours under the sun to just come back with a bushel of potatoes or rice or, uh, or grain, which they used, and then they traded the extra, bartered. Now, suddenly, you can press a button, Industrial Revolution. I've mentioned this a number of times. Admiral, the Admiral Adam Rickover was a Jew that escaped the pogroms of Eastern Europe, the mid- beginning of the 20th century, came to the United States. Herman Rickover, sorry. Herman Rickover, not Adam. He came to the United States, and he became in the Navy, and he climbed all the way to become a four-star general. That's the highest rank in the Navy, not five-star, four-star general. He was called the father of the nuclear Navy. He gave a talk in 1958, I believe, 55, in the mid-50s, a talk where he compared 1855 to 1955. Maybe off by maybe 1957, 1857. And what did he say? He, he came up with this interesting, fascinating statistic. It'll just show you how the world changed. He said 90% or 93% of energy generated in the world in, 19, in 1857 was generated through human labor, human and animal labor. In 1957, 93% of energy is generated through fossil fuels, and machines. Now, this isn't a small matter. This explains, as he points out, the sudden explosion of wealth and prosperity. Unprecedented. Because now, whoever controlled the machines, everything was multiplied exponentially so many times over. But another thing emerged from this. All the free time. All the free time of people that instead of having to labor in the fields for their sustenance, now have a lot of extra time. They make a little money, they can purchase it. Look at today, Amazon Prime, you press a button. I know we're going through different changes in this particular period, but overall, so whatever he said in 1957, now in the year 2020, is a whole new world. So what happened to all that focus? So you'd think many people went back home. Since they didn't have to work that much, or they could achieve, they can make the money in much less time through industrialization, they would go back to the center of the universe, their form and family. No, that's not what happened. Well, even before in 1857, the concept of a career was created. We created a new center of our universe. What's the new center? You said, my job, my social life. As a matter of fact, for many, this became a great replacement because my home, you know, I don't want to have to deal with nagging children and a wife that may be uh, down today. I can go out and have fun. A new center was created. Now, just as an aside, you can imagine what happened. The men created this new center. The women at some point said, one second, where are you? That was not the contract. Oh, you're having fun out there or you're enjoying yourself? You're building career, you're building money, you build a new center? Why am I not part of it? Which explains a lot of the women's suffrage movement demanding, rightfully so, if you're out there, I also want to be out there. If the men had stayed where they had to stay and work was only a means to the home, the center of their universe, would be one thing, but that's not what happened. 
So everybody moved, shifted. The home became, for some, even a burden. Unnecessary evil, as some people say. Yes, for our children, we need a home. You can imagine that also how it affected marriage, it affected commitment, the sanctity of a home, of a life, of a family life. I'm not going to go through a whole analysis of it, but suffice to, suffice it to say that the center shifted. Let's talk about the Jewish world. What was the center of Jewish life throughout history? So most people immediately say, what do you mean? The Beis HaKnes is Beis HaMedrash. The Shul. Earlier, the Beis HaMikdosh, the Holy Temple. That was the center of daily life of the Jewish people? Absolutely not. First of all, the most the majority of the Jewish people were not allowed into the Temple, only to certain outer sections. The people who served in the Temple were the tribe of Levi, the Levites, the priests, the Kohanim, and the Levites, all from the tribe of Levi. And they didn't have, they actually didn't have private property. They had to be provided because it was a public service that they did. They were public servants. The Jewish people lived in their places. Their home was the center of their lives. Three times a year, they were told to go, Aliyah Laregel, and make a pilgrimage to the temple. So spiritual center, you can say, that the divine presence was there. But what does the verse say in the book of Exodus later, Pasha Truma, when it speaks about? It says, God says, build for me a sanctuary. Ushachanti, and I shall rest where? You think I will rest in it, in the Mikdash, in the temple. It says, I will rest among you, amidst you. I will dwell among you. It's a contradiction. The beginning of the verse says, I built for me a structure, and I will rest in it, in the structure. Says the Shalah, the 16th century, 17th century great sage. It means, means because the purpose of the temple is to rest within you that God should be. It's not in the wood or the stones or the bricks and mortar of the building. That's a conduit. That's a model, a template. But ultimately about resting within you, in your home, in your home. The God wants a home inside of your heart and soul. And that was the center of life. Now once the temple was destroyed, yes, as Yecheskel the prophet had come to understand, as he asked God, what will happen to us? And God says, build sanctuaries, build mini-sanctuaries, Migdash Ma'at. They will be for me a mini-sanctuary, a, a Sarkinesis, a synagogue, and a base Medish, an academy of study, which became the system of the shul and the yeshiva system. That replaced the temple, but didn't replace the home. The home still remained. And the purpose of the Beis HaMikdash, just as the Migdash, the purpose of the mini-sanctuary, just like the ma- sanctuary in macrocosm, was to serve as a model. That was not where you live. You don't live in a synagogue. You don't live in a yeshiva. You, live, you don't live in the holy temple. You live where you are. And that channels it into our personal lives. So home was always the center. That's why you, a simple explanation for the common question. When you come and build a new community in a city, what's the first thing you're supposed to build? So most people would say the synagogue because that's the public, the public uh, square, public place for prayers, for holidays, and so on. No. A mikvah. You build a ritual bath, which is rel- not just a ritual bath, the ritual bath that controls the intimacy, the intimacy in the home, the purity and intimacy between husband and wife. That comes before everything. If you have money for only one thing, the mikvah. 
If the center was the temple, the, the sanctuary, the, the, the shul, the synagogue, because it's not the center. The center is personal life. If you don't have shalom bias, if you don't have harmony at home, shalom bias, not just shalom, doesn't just say peace between spouses, between family members. The house is a house of peace, a house of completion, a house, a wholesome environment. Then you can build as many synagogues as you like. Something is missing. So the home has always been the center. But just as it affected the general world, it also affected the Jewish people. Without analyzing all the reasons, it shifted. The home for some reason, for some, I'm not saying for everybody, for many, did not remain the center. Either our jobs or the synagogues. Social interaction. Now there's a value, of course there's value to go to synagogue for a davening a minion or, or for our holidays or a shenium kippur, a quorum, the synergy of a community, but not at the expense of the home. So suddenly comes 2020, around Purim time, March, the way it affected us. It started earlier, they say, back in November 19, that's why it's COVID-19, when it began. But when it affected us, when we began to realize its impact, suddenly, stay home, go home. To the point even minyanim, even quorums and synagogues were told not to have that. Now, of course, the, main, the primary reason, as I said earlier, is because of illness, because of the virus, this coronavirus, the disease, the, the pandemic. But there's always more. It's also, we're not explaining, I'm not trying to explain why God does things. We don't know why God does these mysteries. But we, we ask ourselves, what do we learn from it? What do we derive from it? What do we go away? Not why, but what are we supposed to do about it? Well, one of the things is suddenly it reminds us you can't even go to these public places. Whether it's a job, a career, or it's other social environments, or it's a synagogue. Yes, on one hand, it's tragedy. Why can't we have that regularly? It's our comfort zone. But on the other hand, it's a reminder. Atem you should not leave. Ish a person from their home. Another verse that's brought in that, in that discussion, Sugi and Baba Kama that I mentioned earlier, is from Yeshaya, the prophet Isaiah. 2620, where he says, Leich Ami, go my people, go my nation. Ba go into your rooms. And lock your door, close your door. Chavi, hide, conceal yourself. Kemat rega, almost a moment. Almost a fleeting moment, okay, a, a second. Ad yavr za'am. Until the anger, the wrath, the plague concludes. So yes, there's a defensive element, but there's also an offensive element. Going to back to the natural place where you should be. Physically and emotionally and psychologically. The place where the womb, the nurturing and loving environment, the place that you're surrounded by that type of validation, confidence, reinforcement, the essence of who we are, the core and center of our universe. So stay home has a whole different meaning when you think of it that way. Now for many of us it's very unnerving because we're not used to it. 
We, were ident we identified by our center of the universe was much more the activities we did, the places we went to, our work, our third spaces, as it was called, besides home and work, our social environments, or in the religious context, our houses of worship. That became for many people, I need to go there. For religious reasons, for psychological reasons, emotional reasons, whatever, because that's where I interact after a long week. Suddenly we're told, no, my friends, stay home. The second half of that has to be discover this, the true center of your universe or rediscover. It's a time to really think about that. What shaped us? What shapes a healthy human being? When you think of it that way, you understand why the quarantine happened back in Egypt. It wasn't just to protect from the plague. That was the obvious reason. But also to build inner resources. There's a positive to it. Not just avoiding the danger. To build inner resources. To build and reinforce and bolster that home that you have. Physically and above all emotionally. When you think about it that way, then takes on a whole different shape and form our attitude to what's going on today. So many of us are feeling helpless. Things are out of control. And yes, there are many things that are not in our control. We don't know the spread of the virus, how long is this going to take? When are we getting back to some people say to normal? We don't know. So there's a lot of um, that uncertainty demoralizes people. And for obvious reasons. If you start stay there, so you may be able to protect yourself, but psychologically, it's an assault on our psyches. So what we learn from this is no. You have a whole bunch of work to do right now. Build your home. Discover the value of your home. You're not complete without it. And home more than just, is your home just walls and beautiful furniture? Or is love saturated? Is, is it saturated with love? And if it's not, work on that. Go back and ask yourself, what was your childhood like? And what, child, and what are you giving your children, for those that have children? For those that are single, the same idea. Your soul, connecting to your soul and finding the home. The Vashachanti Besechem, God dwelling within you in your home. So home takes on a whole new meaning. And perhaps when the, the history books will be written, we can say that 2020 wasn't just escape, wasn't just quarantining, lockdowns. It was also a new appreciation of the center of who we really are. Our homes, our, our nurturing, our love that we give. I want to share something. I've shared this, uh, but very powerful experience. I uh, remember years ago watching John Bradshaw, one of the early uh, practitioners of the inner child therapies and so on. He had a workshop, which I, I, I believe I saw it on video. Very, very moving, and to me it was transformative. So he had a group of uh, 50, 60 people, men and women. And he was doing a workshop. And when I came, it was like right at the beginning. And I hear, the first thing I hear is a very familiar sound, but I couldn't place it. A heartbeat is playing in the background, but loud, amplified. Pum, 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 pum. Then I discovered that's what it is. It's a heartbeat. And it has a certain soothing element. There's also a rush, like almost like a water rush behind in the background. And that was playing. And Bradshaw begins to speak slowly and deliberately, and he says, he says, 
This is the voice. This is the, close your eyes. Yes, everyone. This is the sound of your mother's heartbeat. Where did you hear it? For nine months, 24-7, you heard it. You were in her womb, and the closest thing, what was the sound, the background music, so to speak, was the heartbeat. And, and you hear it. It's hard for me to convey without the whole experience, but let me share this. Okay, a heartbeat. Very calming. And then he begins to speak slowly, as if your mother's speaking to the, to the fetus. And with, again, the background of the heartbeat, that soothing background. And the mother says, John Bradshaw says, my dear child, I've been waiting for you all my life. You're a gift from heaven. I can't wait to meet you. I think about you all the time, what you look like, what you'll feel like. And I feel you inside me. You're part of me. And the day will come when you will emerge and I want to tell you, assure you, that I have a special room for you ready at home. And a special bed, a crib, with new fresh white linen and pajamas and clothing. And I will create the most beautiful environment for you, the most beautiful nurturing home. And I will always protect you. And I will look forward to see you growing and blossoming till you become an independent adult, and I will be able to be proud to see what you turn into. But I will always be there for you, unconditionally. This was the gist of it. There's probably more. The crowd began to cry, one at a time, whimpering a little louder. I began to cry, to be very honest. At first, you know, you're cynical, skeptical. You say, okay, nice manipulation. But then you say, one second, this is true. It resonates. Anyway, he goes on, that and that just finally stops and pauses and everybody's still in their mode till they come out of it. What was the point? Why were we so touched by this? Because this is what we resonates is what we should have heard. Or maybe we did hear. And if we didn't hear, we should have heard it. Because that's what we need. That's what defines a human being. The dignity, the majesty of someone loving you unconditionally. What that mother says. And with the background, the heart. That's our beginnings. That's how we began. And not for a minute or two. For nine months. And then the early years. So those of us that had it in the best, fullest way, what a gift. Those of us that some way it was compromised, now's the time to rediscover it. That doesn't mean you can't rebuild it. This is also part of our challenge now. So both to appreciate home in new ways, and perhaps rebuild or build for the first time a home the way it's supposed to be built. And again, it's not just the physical home, it's also the psychological, emotional one. But Atam Leisetsu, do not leave the home, the door of your home. Stay in your doors, lock your door. Not just protection, to build, which is also protection. Build your inner life. I always mention this, people ask the question, I ask people, so tell me, who are you? What's your, what's your story? What do you re- who are you? Most people give you their business card. But that's not who you are. That's what you do, I tell them. Okay, some people laugh. Some people cry. Some people say, hey, what should I tell you? What I do has become who I am. Can you imagine? Who, you're right, you're, who you are should define what you do. It's like the hammer tells the hand what to do. 
the ship tells the captain where to go. But for us, the center of our lives, which is our work and expectation and demands and our bosses and our clients, they're controlling. That has become who we are. Stay home. I wish it didn't come with pain and suffering. Stay home and discover that first build yourself from within. And then everything else is defined by that. What you do should be defined by who you are. Basically, your home should define your work and your social life and even your synagogue life, not the other way around. It begins from your inner identity. So you can replace the word home with inner identity, building your inner identity. Imagine how relationships would be enhanced when we had that. The Kotzka Rebbe once said, if I am I because you are you, and you are you because I am I, I am not and you are not. But if I am I because I am I, and you are you because you are you, I am and you are. What is in simple English it means? That if my identity is defined by proximity to you, and walking around you, and responding to you, reacting, a reactive approach, then I'm not complete because I, who am I without you? And if you're defined by me, so it's like the blind leading the blind. However, a relationship where you are a complete entity, and then I am I because I am I, and you are you because you and you, they can come together without one annihilating the other. As Hillel said, who am I? If I'm not for myself, who am I? That's the beginning. If I'm only for myself, what am I? So then we need each other. But you can't begin, if your identity is going to be defined because you, you begin with the first half of the statement, if I'm only for myself, what am I? No, first you have to build your home. First you have to build your identity, your solid foundations. You build a foundation and upon that you extend the structures. You know what the means are and what the ends are. That, my friends, is the meaning of home. I can go on and on. Home is a, such a rich concept. And all of us have wandered away, somewhat betrayed our own inner homes. And perhaps our, also our families and homes as well. This is not critique. It's just the way the, the, way the modern world has evolved. The prosperities, the comforts, the appreciation of inner life has become somewhat compromised, somewhat limited. Well, now, no longer. It's very clear. Now, we all want this pandemic to end. There's no question. But we also want to learn. What have we learned about ourselves? What have we learned about our homes? What have we learned about our work? Let's reprioritize, recalibrate. What is the center? And what is the circle around the center? To make a perfect circle, you need to have a compass. Compass, a solid compass upon which you create the entire circumference of the circle. Let's say you didn't have that center. So you made it create a circle, be a jagged circle, imperfect circle, many different circles. It begins always with the center. If you wish a mission statement. And the way we develop, look at us as human beings. It's not just a, a good advice. We are shaped that way. We're shaped, we begin from within. You develop from one cell, inside the mother's womb, develops in a home, and then we spread ourselves out. You take a child and, God forbid, abort their childhood and throw them into the hostile world prematurely, that causes many scars. 
So it's important to know when you're in that nurturing womb environment, and then when you be able to, then you have the courage and this confidence and the trust to be able to build outside yourself. But it's defined by your inner life. Our inner lives, my friends, what we are working on right now. And the verse says it so clearly, that that night, that first night, that became the first Passover, stay at home. Build your home inner life. Yes, there's a hostile world out there. You need to protect yourself. But more than that, not just, it's not just defensive mechanisms. It's not just reactive. It's proactive. Build. We also stand for something. Not just we're against something. That's what a home. A home is not just the absence of hostility, as I mentioned before, the absence of the elements, the absence of a, uh, of, a, of a world around us that can be dangerous. It's not just the absence of danger. A home is also, what does it stand for? What is the home? What, do you, what kind of vision do you have for your home? What kind of people walk into your doors? What, what, when the day comes that they can walk into your doors? What message, what vibe do you want to project? What mark do you want to make on the universe? These are the questions that we're asking, we should be asking now. As we are told, stay home. Rediscovering, discover the center of your universe, the true center. And everything changes as a result. Everything changes as a result. In Hebrew, the word home, bias, a bias. It's like the letter Bayes, the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's like a box. But you see there's an opening, because it's not a box, it's not enclosed as in a totally trapped, airtight environment. It's a protective environment and has a door. Like every home has a door. That, that verse it says, it says, the Pesach Beisei, don't, don't leave the door of your home. Because homes need doors, but right now the door has to be closed, has to be sealed. Sgeir Secho. But then there comes a time when the door opens and you can enter and exit, and bring the deeper love and the inner strength that we built up during this time and transform the world, the whole world becomes then a home, which is actually the expression that we say that God desired a home in this lowest of worlds, in this hostile, dark, antithetical to divine world. I wanted a home, I don't just want to have shelter. I don't just want to have a place to, to to pa- a hotel to pass through, a home, a home where it can be completely there. Sometimes it goes even further, a beautiful home. Dirano. And sometimes even compared to a garden. A garden, a place where I can luxuriate, a place where I can enjoy, where the divine gets fused with the material world. But we have wandered away. Material life has become so comfortable. That's why we're, this is so shocking to us. We thought we were invulnerable. We thought we were in control. Well, all that has now paused. It's clear that's not, that we're not in control. But we're, we're not in control of what's outside, but we're in control of the key, the center of our lives, who you are, what you project. And if you say, one second, I've never thought about that for so long, well, now's the time. And those of us that have thought about it, now we have the opportunity to strengthen it, teach it to others. So we have tremendous opportunity now. And I still emphasize that God, we should all be protected. God should protect every person, bring total recovery and refuslam it to everyone that needs it. It's not a contradiction. Same thing, like in a home, you also have to sometimes deal with an illness. You need to nurture the person. You need to help heal them. 
You need to create an environment of, of healing. So that's obviously also part of it. But it's much more than just healing from the negative. It's also bringing a whole new dimension of love, of hope, of courage, of strength that is so vital to the human being. As I said earlier, it's not just the physical home, it's the psychological, emotional, that you have a place where you belong, a place where you feel you're completely connected, completely aligned with why you're here. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, that was their home. Then they were banished because they disconnected. They wandered away, they betrayed themselves. And God said, Ayeko, where are you? I don't recognize you. You've betrayed yourself, you've betrayed your mission, you've betrayed your calling. But we're told that every challenge is an opportunity to build even a stronger and better garden and a better home. And that, my dear friends, is our challenge now and also our gift. Again, it should come with no suffering at all, minimal of aggravation. We should understand what we have to be learning and strengthening that center of our lives, the true center. And that should inform everything else in that everything else is a means. Everything is a means of building the center of your life, the spiritual center, the home, the divine center of who you really are. I thank you for listening. This has been Simon Jacobson, and I repeat again, this is one program among many, many programs out there that we've been creating, especially for these times. So please visit MeaningfulLife.com Corona for a wide different uh, diversity of different programs for different audiences, for students, for parents, for educators, and of course for, uh, for everybody else as well. And I again encourage you to subscribe, a free subscription to the Daily Spiritual Antidote. It's on all our platforms. You can get it in a WhatsApp broadcast. It's in podcast. It's in uh, YouTube, uh, Facebook, Instagram, you name it. It's been an honor and pleasure to speak with you. These are challenging times, but God bless you to be stay well and healthy and find those inner strengths that come, that emerge, that surprisingly emerge in times like this. The greater inner resources that we have, that home that's deep inside your heart and soul, and may we learn to express it. God bless you all. Thank you so much. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate.